0: Over the past uh, number of weeks, we've been journeying through uh, our series, Dollars and Cents, A Biblical Approach to Finances. We've been addressing several themes that relate to money that are found in Scripture. And our overriding theme of this series has very simply been this. It's only when our financial priority is aligned with kingdom priorities will we handle finances in a way that declares that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. And as much as we've repeated that statement, I just, every time I look at it, I realize how powerful that statement is and how life-changing it is. Today, we've talked about the themes of lordship and generosity, honesty, and greed. And today, we're going to talk about fear. Fear. Truth is, fear has a profound effect on our lives We're going along and everything seems to be okay. We're excited. And then in that moment when reality hits us, suddenly we're overwhelmed and overcome with fear because of what we're facing. And what we fear varies from person to person. Some people fear things that other people don't fear. We're afraid of different things. There's things I'm not afraid of. I'm not afraid of spiders. I'm not afraid of being alone in the church basement after dark. I'm not afraid of funeral homes. I'm not afraid to speak my mind. I'm not afraid of change. But there's some things I am afraid of. I'm afraid of heights. I'm terribly afraid of heights. I will never eat dinner at the CN Tower in my entire life. That will never happen. If you want to save some money, just offer to take me for dinner there and I'll just say no and you'll have accomplished a nice thing, but you won't have to do it. I'm afraid of roller coasters. I am scared to death. I am scared to death of sticky children. (laughs) I am more scared of sticky children than I am heights and roller coasters put together. And I'm not kidding. I'm afraid that I'll live my life and not fulfill my potential or realize my purpose. I'm afraid at times that my children won't choose to live for Jesus, and I'm afraid of a lot of other things too. We're afraid of different things for different reasons. Now, last week we were in Luke chapter 12, and we looked at verses 13 to 21, and Jesus addressed the issue of greed in that passage, and it was prompted by a request from a man who wanted Jesus to tell his brother to divide his father's inheritance equally between them, which, as we unpacked, was culturally unheard of. And Jesus recognized that the man's request was rooted in greed, and Jesus held him accountable. And so what we looked at last week was in terms of that. Our scripture this morning is a continuation of that same moment. And where Jesus now segues into another theme regarding finances. And he continues his teaching addressing the issue of fear in terms of possessions. Because fear is the first cousin of greed when it comes to finances. And so let's read together Luke 12, 22-34, which is the rest of um, this passage. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or a barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, and tomorrow is thrown out into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. About fear in this next section of the chapter that I want us to consider this morning. The first one is that fear breeds worry. When Jesus addressed the issue of greed, he's speaking to this larger crowd. There's a multitude of people. They're traveling to Jerusalem. They're going up for Passover. There's a lot of people on the road. He's popular. He's drawn a big crowd. But when he began to segue now from greed into fear, He switched his focus away from the larger crowd and he draws his disciples close to him. They had given up everything to follow Jesus. Even Peter said that at another point Lord, we've given up everything. What's in this for us? And so consequently, they are living each day literally by faith. Because following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, was demanding, it was a demanding commitment in this culture. Life is hard in these times for these people anyway. They're, they're low-income earners, and there's no government social safety net to scoop them up and to, and to help them in their time of need. And so following Jesus usually meant that you were poor. It was a choice to be poor if you were going to follow Jesus because, you know, they're leaving their, their work behind. They're leaving their careers behind And they're relying on God to meet the needs of themselves and their families. And they're relationally poor because many people will turn their backs on them because they saw them as being a part of something that was very radical. And so they're economically and relationally poor. Because of that, it's easy for the followers of Jesus to experience fear When they looked at the reality of their situation. When Peter is looking at retirement in a few years, you know, all of a sudden it's looking pretty bleak. And so Jesus took this moment to speak to their fears and to reassure them of the care and the provision of his father. And he said, listen, don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about the basic necessity of life. Now, the word worry here is an interesting word. It it literally means to be pulled apart. It has its roots in the idea of these days as these wooden ships would would make way across the Mediterranean. And these sudden storms would come up. And the storms would beat against these wooden boats. And often pushing them into into rocky areas and and cliffs. And and the wood that these ships were made of would just splinter and, and just come apart. Well, that's where the word worry comes from that Jesus uses here. Because worry pulls us in different direction. It, it creates confusion. It, it wears people down. It's destructive. It tears us apart. Worry impacts sleep. It impacts eating patterns. You either eat less or a whole lot more. It affects physically or even our body bloodstream as our bodies are just injecting you know hormones and chemicals into our system to respond to our stresses it affects our heart with levels of stress it affects our emotions and our responses and so Jesus here is addressing the impact of worrying and he's trying to tell them that worrying is harmful not helpful And Jesus asks a rhetorical question. He says, guys, who of you can add a single hour to your life by worrying? Well, the obvious answer is that worrying doesn't add anything to our lives. And so Jesus' point here is this. Worrying lacks purpose. Worrying distracts us. Worrying destroys us. Worrying takes away from us. It doesn't gain anything for us. Worry is rooted in fear. Fear of our present circumstances. We look at our present circumstances and they're challenging and we're afraid. We're afraid of the anticipated future that in our minds we see where the future is going or we're concerned where the future is going. The truth is, we worry about the things that cause us fear. We worry about our finances. Am I, am I going to have enough to meet my bills, to feed my children, to, give, to, to put clothes on their back, to keep the house, to, not, to be able to pay the mortgage? We worry about our kids. Are they physically okay? Are they getting involved with the wrong people? Are they making poor choices? Are they getting involved in things that we know are destructive for them? Are they struggling in school? Are they struggling with health issues? We worry about our spouses. We worry about our marriages. Are we going to make it? Are we going to get through this? It's a stormy time and and people all around us, their marriages are failing. Is mine going to succeed? Are we going to make it? Or more often, we're worried about our kids' marriages because they're struggling and it's falling apart and and, and we feel the pain and see the reality and we're afraid. We worry about our families. We worry about work. We worry about not having work. We worry about school and exams and workload and what's due and will I have a job when I graduate? We worry about responsibilities. Are we going to be able to fulfill them, get it all done? We worry about our health. Is there something wrong with us? How are we going to ma- navigate this? We worry about what we can't change, what we can't control. We worry about what might happen. We, might, we worry about what might not happen. Fear and worry come when we feel like we are no longer in control. When life is uncertain and we can't manage it, we can't change it. Worry is rooted in fear. Fear of the present circumstances, fear of a potential future. But we're told by Jesus that worry cannot add anything to our lives. Nothing. Worry adds nothing to our lives, but can take a lot away. I was recently reading about Cory Ten Boom She's a Dutch author of the book, The Hiding Place. Some of you may have seen it, and about 100 years ago, there was a movie, I think, you may have seen that back then. Corrie lived with her family, who were watchmakers in Holland. When the Nazis invaded Holland and began pursuing and arresting Jews to take them to concentration camps, Corrie's family built a secret room, a closet, if you will, to hide them. They were successful for quite a period of time, but it changed when when a spy was able to infiltrate what they were doing, and they were all arrested. The whole family was sent to prison, and most of her family actually died in prison. Later on, she was personally moved from the prison to a concentration camp herself, where she endured some very difficult circumstances and hard labor. But at the end of her release, when the war was over, she went back to that family home where They lived as a family, and where they built that room, and where they took that incredible risk to help people, and she made a decision that she was going to use that home as a place for people who were injured during the war to find a place of healing. When you read her story, you realize that there were many times throughout her ordeal that she could have been fearful, what's going to happen, what she saw happening, All around her with her family and losing her parents and all that was going on, worrying about what might happen as she's being moved from one location to the other. But the following is one of her famous quotes, and I think it's relevant for us this morning. She said this Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, it empties today of its strength. Worrying lacks purpose. Worrying distracts us. Worrying destroys us. Worrying takes away from us because worrying is birthed in fear. Secondly, fear destroys trust. Jesus in this passage actually draws a line of distinction between those who are his followers and those who are not his followers. And he calls those who do not put their trust in him, they're a part of this pagan world, he calls it. Now the word pagan here simply means one who does not worship the one true God. And so according to Jesus, his words, people are either followers who worship the one true God or pagans who do not worship the one true God. That's, that's what he's saying here. Now, Jesus understood and he taught that worship was more than the rituals of ceremony or religion or songs or going through a process. For Jesus, and biblically, worship encompassed and impacted the entirety of life. And so to Jesus, true worship in Jesus' definition was living in a way that demonstrated your relationship with the one true God in every moment of one's life. That was worship. And so he says that those who are not his followers, who are on the other side of that line, if you will, he said they run after things. Interesting language. The, mean, the word run after here means to clamor for, to seek diligently to be driven to something. And the whole idea suggests this desperation. This lack of focus. This flailing if you will. Why? Why are those who are not followers of Jesus so consumed with running after and acquiring? What is the difference on either side of that line? And he makes it clear is because those who are not those who follow him, well, they have to take care of themselves. They have to bear the entire responsibility of having their needs met entirely on their own. And so they're driven to it and they're burdened by it. But Jesus reminds them that those are his followers. Well, they're different. God has promised, he says, to take care of those who put his trust in him. God has promised to meet their needs. Now this doesn't in any way exempt followers of Jesus from working hard. It doesn't exempt following of Jesus, followers of Jesus from planning in their lives. It doesn't exempt them from saving. It doesn't exempt them from good stewardship practices. It simply means that we understand that everything a follower of Jesus needs comes from God. And he will take care of us. And he uses two examples to drive home the point. The first is of the ravens. These ravens are considered an unclean bird. They're scavengers. They'll eat anything. They're viewed by people in the culture as, you know, they're like the lowest of the birds. They're not even worthy of God's care. And Jesus reminded them and said, listen. And you got to remember, he just told the story about the man who had the great harvest, who built the barns, and now he's going to build bigger barns. And he says, these ravens, they don't sow. They don't reap. They don't have storerooms to put their stuff into. They don't have barns to tear down. But he says, look at them. God feeds them. And if God is willing to feed the birds... How much more does God care about his children? And then he used the second example of these wildflowers, these lilies that are were common flowers, that they grow everywhere. They would thrive in any condition. Probably our version of the dandelion. Right? That are now being viewed as this beautiful flower just because we're tired of poisoning ourselves by trying to kill them. They'll grow anywhere, they thrive, they grow. These lilies were beautiful to look at. Jesus said, Look at them. And then he compared them to Solomon. And he said, You know, Solomon, who was known for so much wealth and extravagance, who wore the best of robes and clothing. And Jesus said, Look at those beautiful flowers. Look at those dandelions. They're more beautiful than Solomon's clothing. And more importantly, he says, God allowed the sun to shine on them. And God allowed the rain to fall on them, and they grew, and they became beautiful. It was God's care. It was God's provision that made the lilies beautiful. It was God that clothed them. And Jesus says, in light of this truth, he now draws this comparison to drive home his point. He says, if God provides for and cares for the ravens, if God provides for and cares for these wild flowers, how much more will God provide for and care for his children? Now, we use the illustration of the sun shining down on us. There's even the song, right? Blessed be your name and the sun shining down on me, right? Is an illustration described like when things are good, you know? Remember that moment for about 12 seconds, that one time in your life when things were really good? Remember that? Think back to that. Things were really good. They're going well. Very few challenges to face. We use the illustration of facing and enduring a storm. Well, when life gets hard and painful and overwhelming with problems and losses, and we say, oh, I'm going through a real storm right now. The rain is falling. Now, obviously, most of us prefer The sunshine over the storms, we we, we like the good times more than the bad. I mean, come on, there'd be something wrong with us, right? If we thrived on suffering, I think that's a condition. We like it when the sun shines down on us, but not so much when the storm comes, and of course we do. But the sunshine and the rain are both necessary for God to beautify our lives, What happens if your flowers never get water? They die. They don't get beautiful. Don't worry when the sun is not shining. God knows what we need. And God is with us in the storm. And God meets our needs. But we get caught up in the fear. And we get distracted. And we lose sight of Him. We panic. We take, try to take control of the situation. We try to take control of our lives. We're doing damage control, desperate to survive. We fear because we've lost sight of God. We begin to worry when we lost sight of God and His promise to take care of us. The most comforting reality I believe that we can hold on to When we're concerned with our present circumstances, when we're concerned about our future and what appears to be coming at us, is the promise of Jesus to be with us. To me, I just find that to be, I mean, one of the most comforting realities there there could be. In Matthew, Jesus said, listen, this is the Great Commission. I'm sending you out to make apprentices and all that stuff. And then he says this powerful statement, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm sending you out to do this. Physically, you won't see me, but let me tell you, I'm going to be there with you. Many of us love Psalm 23. The psalmist said, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the worst valley we could be in. You are with me. In John, Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit. The Comforter is going to come and come alongside of you. Folks, the truth is, Jesus is with us. It's not just something we say to our kids to make them go back to sleep. Jesus is with us. Jesus is aware of our circumstances. Jesus is at work in our circumstances. And Jesus, more importantly, is in control of our circumstances. And that, that is what makes all the difference. You see, a faith that doesn't hold up in the storm is not a faith worth having at all. It's not a faith Worth having it all. Because if the gospel is really true, then it changes our lives. And we don't have to live our lives worrying. We don't have to be afraid about what's happening in our lives. Because our faith and our trust is in God. In the sunshine and in the rain. Thirdly, fear robs focus. Jesus concluded this little talk with his disciples by telling them, seek his kingdom first. He says, seek the kingdom first. Seek the priorities of the kingdom first. And he says, guys, if you're willing to do this as your very first priority, if you're willing to make the kingdom the most important thing in your life, all these other things that you need, in your life, are going to be okay. They're going to be okay. You don't have to be focused on trying to take care of yourself. You don't have to try to figure out a way that all these needs are going to be met. You just need to focus on the kingdom. Now, Jesus made it clear. He says, listen, the priority of your heart, the priority of your lives will determine whether or not you're committed to the kingdom. Because if your heart and your life is drawn to earthly priorities, if it is drawn to other things, then you're going to be consumed with those other things and not the kingdom. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Or, sorry, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. If they come together, they follow together. And he says you're going to shift your focus away from what's most important. And so he warned them that living with earthly priorities would result in arriving at the end of life and losing all they had spent their lives accumulating. So he made a challenge to them. And he said, Do not be afraid, little flock, because the Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Their group is small in comparison to the world. But the level of God's care is enormous. He's their shepherd. They're his flock. We're reminded from Psalm 23, when the Lord is your shepherd, I will never be in want. Jesus is promising here a close, loving relationship with the Father where they are protected and they are provided for. God wants to give them the kingdom. God wants them to experience the life-changing power of the kingdom. He wants them to experience it in part now with miracles and power and his presence. And he wants them to experience the kingdom someday in its fullness when Jesus returns and ushers God's kingdom in completely. And they need to stay focused on what counts. But fear will distract them from their focus. And so he said to them, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Now, he's not saying that what we should do is sell everything and live with a vow of poverty. That's not what he's saying here. He's challenging them to trust him to meet their needs, but also to use what they have, even if it seems like it's little, in order to live out the kingdom by helping others it's a win-win scenario their obedience to giving their lives and the little they have to the kingdom will bless others and advance the kingdom and it will lessen the possibility secondly of greed taking root in their lives jesus taught them and this is so countercultural for us even today that the best way to overcome your fear of not having enough wait for it, is to be generous. The best way to overcome your fear of not having enough is to be generous. That's ludicrous, isn't it? But it's truth. Thank you for that one person for clapping. I'm trusting you were generous when the plate went by, so that's good. (laughs) Folks, when you're afraid that you don't have enough, being generous... Is a powerful act of trust, isn't it? I mean, how hard is it to give when you have lots? But it's really hard to give when you really have little. And so he challenged them. He said, I want you to have purses that will not wear out. Now, in this culture, it was the men who wore the purses. We might need to get back to that. It was the men that wore the purses, Right? I mean, can't you imagine it? The shepherds are out there on the field. Fire's crackling. The sheep are asleep. And the one looks over and goes, that's a really nice purse. (laughs) Where'd you get that? Oh, this? Oh, yeah. So down by Jericho, there was this Bedouin group, and I bought it there for like 10 bucks. What? I got to get one of those. You know, because my little cloth one, I can't, I can't, I've bought four now in Jerusalem in the last four months and they just keep wearing out. I've got to get one of those. Because purses in those days were just bags made from cloth or leather and of course the money in those times was made from metal and the metal rubbing against the bag and the next thing you know, you arrive at your destination and there's a, there's a hole in your purse and all the money is gone. And that's what he's alluding to here. And so Jesus uses this illustration to emphasize the importance. And so he says, listen, you know, the goal is not for you to invest in the coach purse or the Kate Spade purse. You say, how do you know what expensive purses are called? Seriously, you know how many times I've had to line up (laughs) with this many women living in my house (laughs) to get the the discount? Yeah, that's my job. My job. No, he says, that's not the purses you need. You don't need Kate Spade. You're welcome, guys. You don't need it. You don't need it. You need heavenly purses. The safest place to invest your money, Jesus said, is in heavenly priorities. Why? Because heavenly treasure cannot be used up. It can't be stolen, lost, or destroyed. It's eternal. Folks, there's no debate that we were created by God to be gatherers. We gather. But the question is, what are we gathering? And another really important question is, and probably the most important question is, what are we doing with what we've gathered? We were redeemed by Jesus to gather up what really matters. We were redeemed by Jesus to live the kingdom life. We were were redeemed by Jesus to make apprentices. And that gathering up will require generously giving of our abilities, of our time, of our resources. There's no way around it. And when our lives are over, and guess what? It's coming for all of us. All we have spent our lives doing, if we invest in His kingdom... It's going to last for eternity. Now, most people eventually come to the reality of how unimportant things are. Hopefully we do. But sometimes for many, it's too late. Jesus' concern is not the extent of our possessions. He's not angry if we have a lot. That's not his concern. Jesus' concern is, how are we using it? Where do our priorities lie? Are we living generous lives? Are we trusting Him to meet our needs? Fear robs our focus. And fear forces us to focus only on the right here and the right now, what I need, what I think I need, what I see as a challenge in front of me. But trusting God as provider... That allows us to focus on the bigger picture of what God is doing. Folks, God is doing so much more than our limited little worlds. And so when we become to see God as provider, we get to see the bigger picture of what God is doing and wants to do through us. Not only is it bigger than our lives, but our responsibility and opportunity in it is even bigger than we could imagine when we get our focus off of fear and onto the kingdom priorities. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. Author and minister George MacDonald once wrote this. He said, No men ever sink under the burden of the day. It's when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight is more than the man can bear. So he says, never load yourselves so. If you find yourself so loaded, at least remember this. It's your doing, not God's. He begs you to leave the future to him and mind the present. Truth is, we all have a choice to make today. We can choose to allow our lives to be driven by fear and the result would be worry and destroyed trust, misplaced focus. We can, people all around us are doing that and the majority of the people that we pass on a daily basis are living that world. Or we can choose to live our lives As children of God who put our trust in Him in the midst of the most fearful of circumstances and get to testify of His peace, His contentment, His trust, confidence, and focus on things that make a difference in this world that have eternal value. We can have that if we do not allow fear to dominate the drive of our lives and the priority of our lives, specifically in terms of resources and things. Let's stand together this morning. Our worship team is going to lead us just one song this morning. And as they do, and then I'll conclude in prayer, because we've had our prayer time a little earlier in the service. But I'd like to ask you this morning, would you take these next three to five minutes to just reflect on what God's Word and the words of Jesus, what they mean for you this morning. Allow His words to resonate through your heart and your soul this morning. And as you prepare to leave this place, resolve in your life a desire to not allow fear to dictate how we live, how we prioritize, what's important, but trust in the kingdom and eternity and God's care and Jesus' presence as the better alternative.